the reading is taken from Exodus 13, from uh, verse 17 through to 14, uh, verse 14. And that's on page 70 of the Pew Bibles or 105 of the large print Bibles. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leading, leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of, cloud by, uh, pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth between Migdol and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Zephon. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and we've lost their services. So he had his chariot made and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and took them and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pi-Hahiroth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done? to us by bringing us out of Egypt. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. And Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, David. And so we today continue our journey uh, through Moses' life. And of course, the journey of the children of Israel from captivity, from slavery in Egypt to, to freedom, freedom to worship and to serve their God. We've, we've traveled, haven't we, with Moses from his birth uh, through his calling when God said to, to Moses, go and tell my people 
that I have seen their suffering, I know their suffering, and I'm going to come and deliver them from their slavery. And inevitably, we've, we've dipped in and out of the story a bit, and it includes, it's, but it's, a, it's familiar to most of us, I'm sure, the plagues that were inflicted on the country and on Pharaoh and his nation, the judgment of the firstborn, the protection of Israelites through the blood of the Passover lambs, and then their release. And that's where we pick up, that's where our reading started today. Our title is Finding Freedom. And the first thing we discover is that having freed them, God did not say to Moses, you know, just Moses, take these people north and you'll find the promised land and we'll meet up there. I, I will meet you there. No, he went with them. He led them in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of, cloud, of, of fire by night. And in fact, we're told, and it's a crucial, uh, you know, sometimes you have to pay attention to the just the little snippets that are so crucial to a story. And it says we're told that God went before them in the cloud. They were quite literally following the Lord day by day and by night, followed God himself leading his people. I love the way that the, 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 this reading commenced. Uh, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was nearer. He didn't take the near route. I have an electric car and, the, and the, the sat-nav in it has got various settings. You can set it for the shortest route or the most efficient route. And I think there's a route that avoids motorways. But it seems that God's sat-nav works in a different way. God's ways are not our ways. In fact, the, the, the direct route from Egypt to Canaan is about 200 miles and can be done on foot in two to three weeks. God took them on a journey that lasted for 40 years. Uh, God's ways are certainly not our ways. But isn't it interesting that we're given an insight into why God didn't take them the obvious and shortest route? It seems that they would have been faced with a grave threat, we are told, namely the, the Philistine army. And the temptation would have been for the people just to flee back to Egypt in, in, in terror of this army that they would, they would face. And they, they were not given that explanation. We as the readers of the story are given that insight. They were not. They were told to follow the Lord. And they no doubt wondered why God, this God was taking them in fact, in the opposite direction from the one that was the obvious route to go. So God has freed his people and led them, but they had to trust that he knew what he was doing. And there must have been times when they wondered, does this God really know where he's taking me? But we know that he avoided the obvious route in order to do to protect them and to do what was best for them. But then we're in for a surprise as we go through the story in our, in our reading. We thought that their deliverance from Egypt was complete. We thought Pharaoh was history. But Pharaoh, it seems, has a change of mind. I suppose his chancellor must have told him that to maintain strong economic growth required cheap immigrant labor. 
And he, and horror of horrors, without this immigrant labor, he might have to pay a decent wage to his own people to make the bricks. But no, he mustered his elite troops and 600 of the best chariots. I misread this, first of all. It says, I thought there were 600, but that was 600 of the best chariots and all the other chariots. So he, he really threw the whole works at them. But can you imagine, just put yourself in the position of these people for a moment. That, and, and the fear that must have spread through the Israelite camp when some of them spotted the dust in the distance of 600 plus chariots, the entire Egyptian army coming toward them. And the sheer scale of it as they got closer would, would just dawn on them. What have you done, Moses? What, where are you taking us? Your claim, <clears throat> you claim that God, this our God is delivering us. This doesn't look much like deliverance to us. What are you doing? In fact, they more or less say to him, it would have been better to be slaves in Egypt than a corpse in the desert. And we can identify with it, can't we? What a threat. They're saying to Moses, I have the marks of the whip marks on my back of those people that are now heading toward us, the most powerful force in the known world. And here we are stranded. We're, we're absolutely heading for destruction. Moses' message to his people is just watch. My people, this is the Lord's battle. And I love this little remark, you only have to keep still. You only have to keep still. That must have been quite difficult but you only have to keep still. And although we didn't read that far, the, the message then is familiar, isn't it? The, the entire Egyptian army, before their eyes, is wiped out and destroyed in the Red Sea. The most powerful force in the known world destroyed, and God's people didn't lift a finger. They just watched. Be still and watch. So let's keep these two thoughts from this, from this story in our minds as we go forward. First, that God's people faced complete destruction, annihilation, and there was nothing that they, an unarmed, ragbag group of refugees, could do at all to protect themselves. There was nothing that they could do. They simply watched as God rescued them. Second, that having been freed, God instructed them to follow him and to trust him and thereby learn how to live as free people. He freed them first, then led them on a journey that would teach them how to, be, to enjoy that freedom. And verse, 23, verse 22 says that neither the cloud nor the pillar of fire left its place. 
What was, what was God's promise that Peter gave us last week? I will never leave you or forsake you. The cloud, these little touches in these verses are so uh, meaningful at times. They just jump out. It never left its place. He never forsook them. I will never leave you. So hold those two thoughts in our mind as we move forward. Only God could free them, and to enjoy their freedom, they had to follow the Lord. Keep those two thoughts in mind. For the Jewish people down through the centuries, and including of Jesus' time and right to today, they celebrate every year the Passover celebration. The evocative reenactment of this great liberation. Have you ever been to a, a kind of Christian version of, of the Passover? Uh, maybe some of you have. Kate and I did it when we were at, at, uh, at college, and it's an, amazing, uh, it's an amazing experience. And it was, of course, a, a, a very important part of the celebration of life in Jesus' time, as we've said. In fact, Luke says that every year, Jesus' parents, like so many other Jewish parents, went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, a great celebration that centered on the Passover liturgy and the feast. So apart from being an epic tale, what does all of this actually mean to us, for us? It seems clear that it was no coincidence that Jesus chose this Passover season to reveal why he had come and to reveal what he had to do and what he had to suffer. It is no mere coincidence that he chose that season. It, and, the, and the meal, he deliberately chose the time when the, when, the, when the Israelite people were gathered in Jerusalem to have this feast which brings us, of course, to the night in the upper room that we're familiar with. The disciples gathered together for this feast, and here is Jesus among them. They're celebrating this great liberation. And it's important, isn't it? And I think in the context of taking communion today, I thought I would just dig a little bit deeper into this. It's a meal that was more than an act of remembrance. And you've only got to read the, the liturgy of the Passover, which is still used to really enter into this. It was rather a feast and a liturgy that took the worshiper and that links the worshiper to the original event. The, the feast is saying this event happened and I am part of the people to whom it happened. It's not just a, a mere remembrance of God's liberation in the past. I'm, this is part of who I am. And that's a fundamental part of the Passover. And the meal involved at various stages bread and wine. And in that context, Jesus took the bread and wine and gave it a new meaning. He turned the meaning around into an even greater act of liberation that would take place on the next day 
when on the cross the powers of darkness that held in captivity not just Israel but the entire human race would be defeated once and for all. The ultimate freedom moment. The world would be liberated the following day through Jesus on the cross and would never ever be the same again. It's interesting that every Jew who participated in the Passover, who as we say was part of the story, the, the liturgy, and if you've, if you've uh, done the uh, Passover meal you'll be familiar with this part of it. The Passover liturgy reads, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord our God took us out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. Now Jesus with the bread and wine was effectively saying that those who go on to share in this meal in the future, those who go on to participate in this meal would through his death be part of the liberation story. In a few moments, you will come forward and you will hear the words, the body of Christ broken for you, keep you in eternal life. The blood of Jesus shed for you, keep you in eternal life. We're part of the story. We enter into that liberation on Good Friday as we participate together in bread and wine. Through Jesus' death, we receive his freedom, his liberation. It's important to notice that when faced with the might of the Egyptian army, there was nothing that the Israelites could do. In their terror, Moses, as we've said, told them to stand still and see the salvation of God. Stand still. And as we come forward for communion, we, as we participate in this ultimate act of liberation, without Christ, without Christ, without the cross, we have absolutely no hope. We are in the grip of the powers of evil and its consequences, death. But in Christ, we are free. So he invites us, as Moses did, to pause, to be still, and to see the salvation of God. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? We did not earn it. We can't contribute to it. We gaze in awe and wonder at what Christ has done for us. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. So we accept this great liberation, this freedom that's been brought to us on the cross. What next? 
How do we live in the light of that freedom which has been given to us and we have not contributed to? God did not say to his people, well, now I've set you free, you've got a few years to live in this grotty wilderness, but I will meet you, there is a promised land. And if you think, just keep thinking about that promised land, it will help you to endure this miserable journey for the next 40 years. And I'll be there at the other end. Thankfully, he did not say that. God would journey with them. And they would begin, even in the wilderness, to experience something of the love of God as they worshiped together. And they would experience his presence, his provision, his care as a foretaste of what was to come. Yeah, life was going to be tough in the wilderness, as it is for us. Temptation, doubt, bereavement, suffering, loss. They were all going to be part of the wilderness experience, as they are for us. But God was with them, and he would never, ever leave them. But the question came down to, could God be trusted? And could he be trusted to see them through the hard times? And that would take time to learn. It would take time to learn that God really, really could be trusted and could direct their paths. But what was required of them was obedience to follow him and to trust that he would never leave them and he would direct them. God has freed us and the hope of resurrected life is a living hope which we all enjoy. And yet the thrill of the Christian gospel is that we can begin here and now today to experience something of that new creation, that resurrection hope as we worship and serve Jesus together. Jesus called it life in all its fullness, here and now. Oh, it will only be completely fulfilled in the future, but that we get a foretaste of it here and now. It is, of course, isn't it, not a freedom to do whatever we want. It's a freedom that's been achieved for us. We did nothing to contribute to it, but it's not a freedom to live as we please. We hear a lot about freedom, don't we? Freedom of expression, freedom of speech, freedom to indulge in whatever sexual desire that takes my fancy. Freedom, I'm free. I'm just free to do all, whatever I want. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not freeing me to be my damaged, defaced, self. Yes, it is first and foremost, first and foremost about being accepted, loved, forgiven, and knowing that deep, deep down, as I am, I'm accepted and loved in Christ. And I, need, and I, can, 
I need to know that. I need to accept that. But the gospel is that Jesus then wants to empower us and transform us to be the person that God, my creator, made me to be. Freedom to find my true humanity as a creature made in his image. That's the freedom of the Christian gospel. That's the freedom of Jesus that Jesus gives us. I think in our day we need to, to know that and, and really grasp that. It's not a freedom to be me. It's a freedom to be the person that Jesus called me to be. And that's a very, very important distinction. So having been set free from God, let's be clear on how we are to enjoy and enter into that freedom. The freedom of marriage is entered into when both parties obey the vows of faithfulness and love which they took when they were married. We enjoy the blessings of a free country when we enjoy the rules that are put and laws that are put in place to protect our freedom. We're used to these ideas, really. The Israelites would go on to enjoy the freedom that God had given them only when they learned to trust and obey, only when they followed the cloud, when they followed the Lord, they could enter into that freedom. To follow the cloud is for us to follow Jesus in all our ways. Whatever what that means, following Christ means that our satnav is no longer set to take us on the most comfortable path, the one that gives us the greatest status, the one that pays us the most. Our satnav is set to trust and obey and follow the Lord. That's what we're called upon to do. And that's what we're called upon to do to enter into the freedom that he gives us, wherever he leads. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It's worth noting that God could not have, followed, could not have led his people into freedom if they sat down and admired the cloud. They did have to actively follow Mike spoke a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you were here, about it, it was a brilliant illustration of the art box that he was given 20, 20 years ago, which he had never used until now in his sabbatical. The art box was of no value, very nice art box, but it only became useful when he opened it and began to use it. And so are we called upon to actively obey and serve the Lord who has Gain for us our freedom. A verse for today. Peter gave you a verse last week. This is something to take away this week. We're given a promise in, in Proverbs. In all your ways, submit to him. In all your ways, obey him. And he will, he will direct your paths. So let's today receive bread and wine with gratitude and with a sense of awe and wonder
at what Jesus has done for us on the cross. The reality of it. Enter into that freedom of it. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And as freed people to go out into the world this week, re-energized in our commitment to love and to serve our Lord and to enter into the freedom, the enjoyment of the freedom that he has purchased for us. May God help us.